Hey everybody, this is Terry Mitchell with the Voice on Fire interview series. So for those of you that have probably been following along and have seen a few of my uh, in, uh, interviews of late, these are the interviews with intention. And behind the scenes really, what I'm doing is interviewing people that have got a really fascinating story, their life influences, their difference makers, change makers, they're even people that are action takers. They're out there doing something to make a difference either locally in their own community or potentially around the globe. And the importance of all of that is to find inspiration uh, in any of their messages and figure out just how do these people do what they do. And my guest today is Josh Pelland from Canada. He's going to be sharing a pretty fascinating story and I'll probably ask a few interesting questions along the way dig a little deeper and find out what it is that Josh is doing. So, hey, Josh, I'd love to welcome you to Voice on Fire interviews. Thank you for joining me all the way from Canada. Hey, Terry, thank you so much for having me and for your uh, audience for listening in. Absolutely, absolutely. So what fascinated me when I was uh, finding out a little bit more about you is that you're not just somebody who sat back, so to speak, and uh, just took what happened in your world as complete defeat. You're somebody who's just absolutely changed the way you engage with your world. And I'd love for the listeners to understand exactly what it is we're talking about here. Josh, you had a pretty intense accident and I believe you were you were in a fairly um, challenging situation. You were out rock climbing, I believe. So can we get into that part of the story first? Yeah, right away. Um... So I was a climber for quite a number of years, almost 16 years on and off. And pretty much four years ago, in uh, June 12, 2016, mm-hmm. I, had a, I had a fall. I went out for a day of climbing. Uh, it was pretty early season. I didn't have a climbing partner that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was doing a style of climbing called rope soloing. That just meant that I was managing all the rope work alone. And I was just going up and down this band of cliffs and uh, ended up having a fall of 65 feet. And I ended up falling straight down. Uh, I landed on my shoulder and the back of my head hit a boulder. Oh, wow. Um, I was still conscious and uh, trying to sit up and trying to help. There were a few more climbers that ended up coming later on in the day that found me, uh, that were helping me out. And uh, I was airlifted to a hospital in Vancouver on the west coast of Canada. I was revived twice in the helicopter uh, and started undergoing quite intensive surgeries. And I was in uh, intensive care for about two weeks. And I don't really remember the first month of being in hospital. I kind of drifted between kind of reality and horror, mm. you know, oh. nightmares and this sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, so I could under I didn't had no idea what was going on, but a lot of my senses were still there, so I could hear, sometimes see, smells, and everything was just very foreign to me. These smells, sights, and all this, and couldn't register what was going on within that within that time frame. Okay, wow, that's that just the story itself is quite quite frightening because it reveals a lot of the the what-ifs in the world and and in that sense Mm -hmm. it creates that um, obvious vulnerability to realise that only takes one thing and and 
our world as we know it can be changed quite dramatically in the space of moments. Um, yeah. What I'm fascinated to understand with regards to your story uh, is you've obviously had a fairly active life and the very th- there's quite a few fascinating things that you were uh, participating in in life in your earlier years. Um, I believe you were involved in the um, the military or the armed forces in some capacity. Yeah, so in um, 2005, I left Canada and I went across to Great Britain and I joined the Royal Marine Commandos. Oh, and I ended up, yeah, so I ended up serving for six years. I uh, served in a variety of different units, uh, some of them being like special operations uh, type units serving in Afghanistan. Uh, one place um, undergoing training all throughout the world, you know, the jungles, the Arctic, all over, mm-hmm. doing a wide variety of different things. Okay. So, what do you think that may have been in terms of significance, in terms of the way you've chosen your recovery? Did you, did, was there perhaps lessons that you'd learned throughout that time that may have? played a part in how you were able to uh, follow the path of recovery that you've chosen? Yeah, I I accepted what happened. I, I think I did anyways. I don't really actually remember having a cry over anything that happened. Maybe I did when I, early on when I was quite off my face on drugs and stuff <laughs> like that, you know. Um, but I, accept, I think I accepted it quite quickly because situations that I'd been in before, you know, where I experienced near death, you know, hard situations, um, I was ready to die and as such during those times. So I faced those realities as well as climbing, you know. I did a wide variety of climbing from ice climbing, sort of your traditional mountaineering alpine stuff as well as big rock climbing and i always accepted that as hey something could go seriously wrong here so it was always in the back of my mind you know um so kind of having that um self-reflection i guess you could say Mm. always i knew okay yeah something go wrong here i am something did go wrong let's shift focus into it. So there, that, that was one aspect. And then also being, I think, from my time in the military, being, being able to be pretty brutally honest with yourself, mm-hmm. you know, being brutally honest, how you're feeling, um, but then also being able to kind of push those feelings to the side to get on with those jobs that you have to do. Mm-hmm. As cold as it is, you have to do that sometimes, you know. Um, so I was able to do that and just kind of buckle down and set settle myself into learning how to live mm-hmm. in a completely new body, you know. So I'm paralyzed from the chest down, okay. complete sever of my spinal cord. So everything is brand new, wow. you know. I'm still learning a lot of things four years on. So it was a pretty big shock to the system. Oh, right yeah. away. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the only way that I can, in my own mind, think, gee, how do I relate to that? Um, and 
really is it, is it even possible for me to relate to that in look I've had a car accident a couple of years ago and you know as it is now I still have a little bit of difficulty walking in that I've lost some of the nerve sensation in my leg mm -hmm. and the, the challenge that I found for that for me was you know I myself have been a fairly athletic person so for me to suddenly realize I can't walk and just having to I'm still learning to walk and I kind of find in a way for me that's fairly amusing because I, I mean obviously I do get that privilege I can still reclaim the ability to walk I just don't walk very well and mm -hmm. being life from a new perspective and being able to acknowledge that you know for me the mind shift was hey, I can still do things, you know, I, I still have to be independent. So there's obviously a shift in mindset that we go through. Do you credit a lot of perhaps the things that you experienced in your early life? It sounds like they did play perhaps some part in not only just re-establishing this new acceptance in, in what your body can and can't do, but just in the fact that you haven't just settled for life in a wheelchair, you you do stuff. I mean, I've I've checked your website out, and some of the things you do, it, it's I find it quite remarkable. And I'd love to know what started you on that journey towards the the more um, athletic things that you do. So obviously, tell me a little bit more about the the hand cycling because I do know somebody myself that that had been involved in that several years ago, and it's phenomenal effort that is required i'd love to know where did your mindset get to to be able to look at involvement in that kind of sport so i wanted i wanted to get involved in sport right away you know i knew a lot of guys that had been injured overseas lost limbs various injuries and they transitioned into different sports so that was in my mind straight away but it really was the unselfishness of others that got me involved straight away with people coming to visit me with various levels of spinal injuries, playing different sports and introducing, taking their own time to introduce me to these sports and stuff. Um, so hand cycling was pretty much the first one that I came across. Went out actually when I was in the hospital, probably my third month, and I started riding around. Met my first cycling coach there. And uh, he introduced me to the sport more in depth. And I would go after my physiotherapy and rehab in the hospital and go and start training. So I'd go about three times a week and immerse myself in it. And that's one of the things that I like to do now is train full time and compete. And I'm just building myself up to get to as strong as I can, both physically and mentally, to as competitive as possible mm, yeah uh, again the only way that i can relate to any of that myself and imagine that you know what is it that takes somebody through those decisions to transition into something that um that requires that level of commitment is janet when i was going through some of my own rehab is the, the um rehabilitation gym down the road they have one of those um uh, aqua cycle things with the hands it's like this um, bowl of water yep. and put a kettle through. I look. I loved it. <laughs> really loved it. But it was like, give me two minutes of it, and I'm done. And here you oh, are. Man. And how far do you go? Yeah. Um, so we do time trials. So individual time trials, us against the clock. 
that can be between 15 and 20 kilometers. And then road races can be 30 to 40 K sort of thing type thing. And I've done uh, some big endurance rides over 200 kilometers kind of nonstop. Um, but I think that as well just stems from my time in the military, the time in the mountains, you know, kind of that mindset, that endurance. And I've always, I've always loved that. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I think I'm a bit speechless. It's like how long? Over 200. That is phenomenal effort. And I look, I applaud you. I think that if you can turn your life around and, you know, I, I, I don't tend to want to focus on the fact that you've suffered a, a horrific injury. I mean, it is yeah. what it is, um, but it's mm -hmm. more just been for those people who don't know you that to understand that, and if they want to understand a little bit more, or the end of this will make all the uh, references to your contact detail. But if they wanted to go to your website and see the photos that uh, you've posted regards your injury, and it's just being able to understand that sometimes we think we can give up and de be defeated and and not take on whatever it is that life can, can deliver to us. Like there's no certainty in life in any way, shape, or form. And just having that even just the kernel of thought to even think about taking on that challenge to then progress it to the point where, you know, you're, you're an athlete without doubt to be able to go to that level is impressive, but it's to get it to the point where people can relate to it and think, well, how, what could they do? How, how could they change their world around? Who's sitting on the couch watching this? Who's like, gee, you know, what can I do? It's really about recognising that there are no limits except really the limits. Obviously, there are physical limits if there are circumstances within your body that have changed, but there's no real limits in your mind in terms of you work with what you've got, but how far can you take that? Does that, does that sort of resonate with where you're at? Yeah, I think uh, it's that, that perspective thing, that big perspective thing. You know, I could, I remember sitting in the hospital early on and, you know, I was in the rehab ward and there was, I was seeing a lot of pain and depression around me, you know, and rightly so, you know, people with spinal injuries, brain injuries. And I was like, I know where this can go if I, if I fall into this, you know, yeah. uh, and I did not want to be a part of that. So it was the perspective where I thought, you know, Hey, I still got use of my hands, my chest, shoulders. My mind is still good. Mm -hmm. Let's let's see where we can we can take this. Um, and all of us have that in us, no matter what. To take your mind, use it, and push yourself. And it's a it's a, it's a muscle though, right? Mm -hmm. It's got to be. It has to be trained. So I had to step, you know, I had to step back and compose myself and figure out what I wanted to do and then just take all that energy that I had from my life before that I built like that muscle and then just shift it into something new. You know, I was scared 100%, you know, fearful, but many times I'd faced fear and adversity and I was, I recognized it. So, but, yeah, I yeah. Think yeah, that, that's really significant in all of this is being able to recognise your emotions 
um, and to accept that something like this is is phenomenally uh, challenging to the state of mind and you know the, the only way that I can again relate to that is that when I originally had the surgery on my knee it went wrong and it's mm -hmm. here we are 18 months later and I had to learn to walk because it wasn't just routine surgery things did go wrong and you know it was challenging for me to wake up and realize my leg doesn't feel right and that coming from the athletic mindset that hang on a minute, I was going to go training, you know, this, this year, this was going to be the year I was going to go training. And that was at the time of the accident and realizing I, I can barely even get around. And if it wasn't for the crutches, I don't know how I would have gotten around. But just being able to recognize that it's quite confronting to when, when your world changes in whatever capacity that is. Yeah. And, and, and it has to come back to what do we know about ourselves and, and confronting those emotions? And look, if you've got to cry, absolutely cry. If you've got to be sad, absolutely be sad. Um, it's not about suppressing or denying the, the reality, but it's not getting bogged down in it, as you say, and, you know, recognising that it could easily turn out differently if we want to wallow in, you know, call it self-pity if we have to. And it is easy to go there. And, one of the things that went through my mind at the time of the accident is when I started to notice some muscle wastage in my leg. And you've probably experienced some of that yourself. And it's when you know the extent to which it can happen. In my case, I had to recognise if I let that go, I will lose use of my leg completely. I had to keep pushing myself. And it wasn't easy. And with your situation, I'm fascinated to understand what what do you envision in the future in terms of obviously athleticism is a, a, a powerful tool for you? I believe you've taken to the speaking circuit as well. Um, what was the inspiration behind that, and how did that come about? Um, yeah, someone just asked me to come and speak quite early on to a group of people. Uh, didn't really think about speaking or doing any of it, and I just said, "Yeah, I'll come do it." Uh, just kind of shot off the hip whatever i was on my mind at the time uh, i was well received uh, and then it just kind of snowballed from there mm -hmm. so it goes quite hand in hand with cycling now training full-time and being able to speak when i can mm -hmm. um, so i speak to a wide variety of audiences or have and uh, different organizations and i've enjoyed it i've enjoyed interacting with people afterwards uh, that's been it. That's that's one aspect that I've really enjoyed, yeah. being able to chit chat afterwards and that sort of thing. Yeah, excellent. Um, and I'm I'm wondering whether you've had any involvement in all, or if there's been any interest in it, um, with um, Prince Harry's Invictus Games. Has there been any sort of indications that perhaps you might participate in that in any way? Uh, no, I'm pretty hooked up with uh, Cycling Canada at the moment mm -hmm. as a development athlete. Mm -hmm. So all my focus is on there. But uh, yeah, that Invictus Games, what they're doing there is pretty, pretty incredible. Mm. But uh, no, I'm kind of just sticking in my lane, as it were, mm -hmm. direction with the goals that I have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So in terms of... Um, future development then if if speaking's part of what you're doing and also with with 
the um, development within the cycling area. Uh, I believe if I've uh, read your website correctly or read some of the information online about you, there may be a book in the makings. Yes, I'm currently writing a book. Mm -hmm. um, got an editor, which is definitely needed. Yep. So I'm, uh, I'm uh, working my working my way through that yep. sort of, and I have an idea for a second one as well already. Oh, cool! But uh, kind of my my biography would it be a biography? I don't even know. Yeah, sort of my story and all that all that sort of stuff. Cool, excellent. And how far into the yeah. book are you at the moment? I'm uh, probably a couple chapters towards the end. Oh wow. Kind of. I guess where my uh, kind of climbing career, as it were, kind of takes off, mm -hmm. kind of transitioning out of um, after the military, went into the private security world for a couple of years, okay. and I'm kind of finished with that, and then transitioning to moving back home to Canada and starting up my climbing Excellent. type thing, yeah. So is there possibilities that maybe we may see a movie based on the story of your life? Is there a well, chance I might go down that way? Yeah, if anybody wants to make a movie about me, I'll, uh, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it indeed, absolutely. So from a perspective of, of where you're at, so you're in Canada and it's obviously, I imagine like I speak to a few people around the world and in my mind, having not been there, I imagine Canada can get pretty cold. So what do you do? Is there, you know, like a, um, a different way that you participate in your sports during the winter weather? How do you find that the weather's affecting the quality of your, your health? Yeah, well, I uh, train indoors on a stationary bike trainer. Okay. So I just throw my bike onto a trainer and just stare at the wall for three hours a day or whatever it is <laughs> yeah. and pound away. So I'm usually uh, crawling up the walls. Yeah. By the end of winter yeah. and uh, waiting to get out on the out on the roads again yeah. but I, I usually it usually gets broken up I'll go down to the states I've gone the last two years for a training camp for about 10 days mm -hmm. um, down in Tucson Arizona which is great and then uh, in Western Canada it usually warms up quite quickly around April time and we'll head out there and go for a training camp as well mm. so that kind of keeps me uh, busy, active during the winter. Um, but it really is cold and hard to push a wheelchair around in the snow. So it's a little bit more indoors for me yeah. where, you know, I used to, well, I used to live in a truck for a number of years so I could travel around and go climbing wow. as wow. much as possible. Yeah. Uh, and that included winter time. Wow. So I could ice, so I could ice climb a lot. Okay. Uh, as much as possible so yeah my winter activities have uh, slowed down quite a bit yeah but uh that's all right yeah yeah i can imagine yeah and it's 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 again it comes down to adapting to the situation it's like what do you do when circumstances perhaps have changed somewhat and we need to be more uh, adaptive to what's going on around us and you know it's it's fascinating to hear the way that you uh, process things and the way you're actually looking at the world going okay well if this is the case then that's what we do and if this isn't the case we'll go and do that so I'm finding that you've you've you certainly come across with some uh, with that sense of um, 
a very adaptive mindset, which is really, really empowering. And I find that just being able to recognise that, okay, these are what these are the circumstances, these are the limitations, this is what we do. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated to understand perhaps a little more about what um, what's your normal routine from a point of view of your training? What is what does training look like for you on a, on a regular training day? Yeah, so it varies all depending on where I am in the sort of season and that sort of thing. Um, probably on the bike maybe five times a week, four or five times a week, with a couple strength training sessions in there. Um, and I can be from anywhere from two hours to three and a half hours on the bike. It's usually usually three or sorry two three hour sessions a week and then the rest will be two hours of various uh circuits and different things like that so it takes a long long time you know and it's a lot of admin you know getting on the bike getting off of it Mm -hmm. showering takes a lot longer you know prepping all this so it it is a full-time thing and and if I may, by all means, please feel if it's not an no, okay. No, go for it. I, I, just for the listener's value, I imagine you, you have like a carer or somebody that has to be there with you in some instances or how what level of independence have you been able to achieve? I'm pretty much fully dependent, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. Um, my wife helps me with quite a lot uh, sort of thing. Yep. Try not to take advantage of her, but, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, yeah, I got long arms as well, so sometimes trying to get stuff off a grocery store shelf is quite a pain in the backside. But, uh, no, pretty – it just takes a lot longer, you know, showering. But, I mean, I just had to – it took a, twice as long before, you know, early on. But it was just that sticking to it and trying to get it – get st- – get my strength up and get going, Yeah, you know? Because, I mean, I could have just ended up laying in bed forever and then oh. flip. It would have probably been like two, three years later and I'd been like, oh, now I've got to actually do something, you know? Yeah. So just got to get after it. Yeah. Yeah, from, from what I'm gathering, you didn't allow any time lapse. You've pretty much, I mean, obviously, medically speaking, they don't allow for much rest anyway Um, i mean as soon as they can get you into any sort of movement based um rehabilitation they're certainly going to uh, focus on that and you know how committed you become to that process is a little bit of you know do you give up or do you fight on and you've clearly got the there's no give up in this situation because you know in order to get to where you are in the time frame that you've achieved it there's it's a lot of determination goes into that. And, you know, again, not only be applauded that you have seen, there are options here. It's like, I could give up. And if I give up, I'm going to be bed bound and completely dependent upon absolutely everyone just to do anything in my world. Or let me find out and explore what does this new body of mine do and how much can I do with it? And maybe yep. one day I might be able to achieve doing that for myself. And that sort of mindset, it's an empowering mindset. And I think if anyone's listening to this at some point, gets to this part of the 
conversation. It's just that inspiration to remember that, honestly, giving up really is not an option. Um, and it's not until you fight through the fear and the frustrations and the anger and all of the all the negative emotions are going to come up. They're there. That's what happens. But once you acknowledge them and not give them an enormous amount of power, just acknowledge them, allow, allow them to be there, you get to that point where it's like, well, hang on a minute, what if I did just try for this and set yourself a little goal? And I think the goal-setting mindset, would you say that you have a goal-setting mindset? Is that something that obviously from previous experiences in your world you've adapted and uh, put into work? Yeah, definitely goals, goal-setting. Uh, kind of pick a vision and just go for it. And no matter what happens, just keep going. So that kind of like key word that you said there, though, was uh, determination, you know. And I always say it's that recognizing fear, mm -hmm. yet still choosing to move forward. Yeah. And then the determination or, yeah, you know, recognizing the fear. But, you know, having that, having that goal and just no matter what, relentless pursuit of it. Mm -hmm. I'm going there. Yeah. Yeah. Definite, definite key. Yeah, absolutely. Definite. I think that's really, really critical. Um, so if we were to wrap up with the, um, the, the key questions that I love to ask um, in terms yep. of where you're at and who Josh is in, in the scheme of things, my three key questions typically are what is it you do? Why do you do it? And who do you do it for? And just from that point of view is, who is Josh in the world? So share me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an ever-evolving character, you know, uh, striving to keep pushing forward and bettering, bettering myself, um, both physically and mentally, and most of the time very stubbornly. <laughs> but uh, so... I guess that that's who I who I am. And what is it you do in the world? And obviously, there's a whole range of things that you're um, active in. As an inspiration, and as somebody who's making a difference, going down that pathway of being a speaker. Obviously, the fact that someone's approached you and said, "Hey, come and speak," taking that on and enjoying it. What's the mission there? mission is to encourage others that they can push through and push beyond their perceived limitations. Um, and I'm no different than anyone and everyone can do it. What, whatever that challenge may be, whether it's something as abrupt that has happened to me and life changing as me that has happened to me or just the, day-to-day -day grind type thing mm -hmm. just through an encouraging motivational inspirational type story mm. as it were yeah oh it's definitely that it's definitely that and who do you see as the 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 primary audience that you really want to influence primary audience would be just a wide range of different organizations. But I also do get a, quite a lot of satisfaction from talking to 
uh, youth mm -hmm. as well. Okay. Especially uh, have spoken on mental health and kind of breaking those barriers or stigma, uh, especially to youth. So what that's been, I'm sorry. I was going to say, yeah, what was the, the motivation behind um, being involved with youth? How did that uh, come about? Well, it's just one of the kind of audiences that happened to come to me and say, hey, can you come speak? And I said, yeah, sure. And I've done it a few times and I've enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of outcomes have you had? Have you had any of the students come up to speak with you or um, have you found out later that something that you've said has changed someone's world? How has it uh, unfolded? Yeah, so uh, having students students come up to me and uh, say, you've, you've basically said everything that I've been feeling sort of thing type um that's been that's been like kind of hit me you know or i i've taken i've taken something away that i can can apply sort of thing thanks for that so it's like wow that's pretty that's pretty cool pretty meaningful so yeah. I'm quite grateful to have those experiences yeah yeah absolutely and i think there's a gift in being somebody who can put into words what someone else is feeling or to give voice to somebody who may not know how or not feel comfortable expressing what's really going on inside and i, I kind of use my my keyword when i think of that is normalizing the experience and a lot of the time a lot of people don't feel that they're normal they don't you know i'm not like everybody else there's something different about me and when they can relate to something that somebody has said even if that person is not like them so much but can Mm -hmm. recognize the feelings that are there and it helps to normalize the feelings and that just gives so much power to to, to help someone just start off on their journey of, of some sort of self-discovery and and you know there could be a you know, someone's life that you could save uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they were going to perhaps end their life but just someone who might not have been feeling that life was a positive experience and you may have just given them that sense of hope and I, you know i don't know about you but i find that that really moves me. That's something that is mm -hmm. what drives me to do what I do. And and just knowing that it only takes one person, and you know whether that be you or me or you know the people that we know, it just takes one person to say or do that thing that encourages and inspires somebody else. Um, and and just to give them the hand up and and remind them that it's okay. We can get there, and better off if we can do it together. And you know that whole sense of community, which is partly what drives you know, the voice on fire is throughout reaching out to the global community. And what's really cool about this is that, you you know, you're in Canada and um, I'm down here in Melbourne, Australia. So it's, um, it's just knowing that the internet of all places has given us that um, sense of connection globally. And you just never know where your message could be, could be heard by somebody who's, who's yeah. to, to take something really valuable from, from what it is that, you've shared and you know it's really um it's, it's a it's a powerful feeling to have so yeah it's it's cool that you've you've got that feedback yeah well we'll see how it keeps going and hopefully it does yeah excellent and when do you foresee the book coming out oh i have no, i have no idea <laughs> no idea probably a, probably a little while yeah this year now. do you yeah. think 
probably next year. Next year, cool. Probably, All right. Well, that's something to look forward to. That'll be really cool. And then you can start the yeah. next one. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Excellent. So is there anything you wanted to share about part of your story that you'd like um, the, the listeners to know? Maybe I'll just leave everyone with, you know, that you have that courage in you, you know, that, that ability to recognize fear and still push forward. You need to be determined in everything that you do. And when it all goes wrong, just smile and laugh about it mm. and keep pushing, keep pushing on. Don't take it too, too serious sort of thing. Excellent. So if people wanted to find you and connect with you online, um, where would yeah. they primarily start looking for you? I believe you've got a website. So would you like to share just a few of those details now? Yeah. So it's uh, joshuapellin.com. You can go there. You can find my Instagram links, my LinkedIn. And those are the two primary places where I am. Okay. Awesome. Thing. And totally happy for people to reach out, get in touch with me. Mm -hmm. Shoot me a message, ask me a question. Yep. Pretty pretty open that way. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And I think that's really, really critical as well as the more we are comfortable with the challenges that we're facing and the more open we are to discuss them, it takes away a lot of that um, emotional discomfort and, and some of that sense of taboo that, you know, um, we have in Australia a TV program that's called, and I'm not sure if it airs anywhere else in terms of a similar network, um, called You Can't Ask That. And the, the basis of the TV show is that every week or however often it, it airs, they bring people in that are part of, an, um, I guess you could say, a minority. And they're people that have gone through something or experienced something or born with something or, you know, they identify as something. And mm -hmm. typically they're from that taboo group where it's like you don't ask people those questions, you just don't ask them. Whereas that's what the whole basis of the show is. You do ask them and people send in their questions and you have two people typically sitting on, on stools in front of the camera and they swap them around as they go through the show and they pick out a question and they read the question and it's just straight up what their reaction is when they read the question and then they answer the question and it's, it's, it, it's so endearing, it's hilarious, it's Sad. Yeah. It's just a real insight into what if we did just allow ourselves to ask those questions and what if when asking people were actually felt comfortable to answer them? Um, you know, how have you found that sort of effect for you? Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've not been too bothered kind of thing and I'm usually just shooting off at the mouth anyway. <laughs> and <laughs> kind of being in the military as well. Um, nothing's off the table, yeah. sort of. So being able to hear and say anything and being comfortable, as well as um, being able to put forward any ideas, um, say going forward on an operation or something like that, you know, being able to being in an environment where that is also encouraged. It's been pretty cool yeah. to be part of that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, my, my, background, my background's are in psychiatric nursing and there you don't not ask questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, there, for example, one of the questions that I was 
encouraged to ask at all times was to ask if someone was going to end their life because you're actually dealing with some fairly intense situations. And I just found it was a natural question to want to ask because I was found myself really concerned for someone's well-being. And once you get to that point where you realise you can ask the most awkward questions or questions that you know may not be okay for people to typically answer, but you, you learn how to ask the questions, you learn how to answer them. And it's, it's one of those things. Communication is such a valuable tool. And, um, you know, I've really appreciated with these Voice on Fire interviews having the chance to speak with some amazing people. And I thank you mm-hmm. for your time. It's been a really insightful and, uh, you know, really enjoyable conversation. Um, I look forward to sharing this now. I'll be uh, uploading this to my YouTube channel and to the um, podcast. So for anybody who's going to be watching this, you'll be able to uh, tune in and watch this particular interview. And as Josh has indicated, you'll be able to capture his information, such as his website and how to find him and reach out to him and have a chat to him if if he's available. I'm sure he'll be more than happy to to engage with you and, and share more of his story. So Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out of the day to want to join me on Voice on Fire. Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, thanks to all your, everybody listening. Fantastic. So thank you so much. And uh, to the next interview, I'll let everybody know when that will be uploaded. All right. Have a great afternoon, Josh. Hey, cheers. Bye.